Hello again, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to The Painful Truth, the weekly podcast and email newsletter in which I try to bring the truth of Christ to every aspect of being his people in the world, to our lives, in our ministries, our churches, everything. And this is one of the free public episodes of The Painful Truth that I send out every three weeks or so. If you'd like to get every episode every week, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. In today's episode, it's the third and the final one, for the time being anyway, of a little series that I've been working on, reflecting on what it's like being back in campus ministry after all this time, and the kind of lessons that I'm learning afresh. In the first two episodes, I talked about the centrality of the Word and how wonderful it is to see students hungering after the Bible and its teaching. And secondly, the power of patient culture building, how much that is good about the campus ministry I'm involved in is a result of many years of constant patient building of a culture. And in this third and final episode on this topic, I'm going to reflect on the kind of pastor that's hard to find. Well, it is amazing how many different kinds of pastor there are these days. There was a time, it didn't seem all that long ago, when there weren't that many options. You just were a pastor, a plain unadorned minister or pastor. Or if you really had to, if you had a different role, you might be the assistant pastor or the associate pastor, perhaps, or radically, maybe even the youth pastor. But these days, the possibilities seem endless. You can be a lead pastor or a senior pastor, an executive pastor, a discipleship pastor, children's pastor, youth and children's, children and families, middle school, high school, young adults, women's pastor, men's pastor, campus pastor, college, worship pastor, creative arts, mission, evangelism, community pastor, maturity pastor, membership pastor, ministry or even magnification pastor. And I'm sure there are many that I haven't listed. But it seems no end to the number of pastors that you can possibly be, which is all a bit amusing and in some cases almost amusing and it could lead us to a discussion I guess about what a pastor really is and what roles or activities really deserve the description pastor but that's not what I want to focus on in today's episode I want to be a little bit more positive and focus on an important but rather I suppose mundane lesson from the proliferation of all these pastors and that's this that If you want to make progress in a particular area of ministry or church life, it usually involves commissioning someone to take responsibility for it, whether in a paid capacity as a pastor or a voluntary capacity as a youth leader, for example, or a men's ministry leader. And this is obviously because the unmodified pastor on his own doesn't have the time or gifts to drive everything he needs appropriately gifted people to step up and to step alongside and to take the lead in in different areas. Whether that's with a particular group of people, like the youth group or the seniors group, or a particular purpose or focus that we're pursuing as a church, like evangelism or welcoming or membership. And if we want this particular group or ministry to thrive, it's reasonable to say that We can't just expect that to happen as a natural consequence of everything else we're doing, or we can't just expect that the already overworked senior pastor 
will somehow get to it and make sure it happens after he's done everything else. Someone needs to be thinking and scheming and praying and organising for all this to happen under God and to improve and grow. Well, so far so good, or so far so obvious. What has all this got to do with me being back in campus ministry again? Well, when I was beginning the role and negotiating with Carl Mattai about exactly what my role would be back at campus Bible study and what we would call it, I had a look around at all the various titles and roles that people had in pastoral ministry, just for some inspiration. But the strange thing was that in all the big staff teams that I looked at, with their many and various role descriptions and all the different kinds of pastors that are involved, and I looked at lists and discussions of pastoral titles online, there was one kind of pastor that was very hard to find. In fact, that I couldn't find at all. I found virtually nothing that described the particular role and focus area that I was about to embark upon. And that, of course, was training. My role at CBS, as I think I've mentioned, is to help drive those activities that equip or train the students and prepare them for different aspects of Christian life and ministry. That might be how to read the Bible for themselves and to read it one-to-one with someone else. Or it might be how to know the gospel really well and be able to talk about it and chat about it in conversation. Or it might be how to understand and live out biblical ethics and so on. It's a training kind of role. And on top of this, uh, I'm also involved in the ongoing coaching and training of the ministry trainees, the 25 young men and women who are currently engaged in a ministry apprenticeship at Campus Bible Study. And so given this was my role, what should we call it? We toyed with calling me a training pastor, but that sounded a bit too much like pastor in training, so we ended up just going with ministry trainer. My full title is I'm a ministry trainer and writer in residence, which kind of reflects the two halves of of what I do. Now, these titles, of course, don't matter very much at all in the end. But what does matter, and what I've appreciated afresh since coming back to campus Bible study, is that If training is to be a normal and effective part of our church life and church ministry, it is difficult to see how that will happen unless we make it a conscious focus and appoint some people to drive it and to champion it. CBS has done this effectively for a long time. I've come on board to join a sub-team of pastors who've already been responsible for this area for some years and have been driving it along and have made it part of the CBS culture. Now, all this has led me to ponder a number of interesting questions. I guess first and most obviously, where are all the other training pastors? Is it that training is not really worth focusing on as an area of ministry, like mission or membership or youth or something else? Is it too niche, perhaps, or somehow perhaps too peripheral? Is that why it's almost impossible to find any training pastors or pastors of training out there among the proliferation of pastoral titles in churches today? Or is training actually happening a lot, but we just don't tend to acknowledge it or name it or reflect it in people's role descriptions in any way? Somehow I doubt that. Or perhaps training is something that can only really happen on university campuses, and that's why there are no training pastors out there in the world. 
Well, The Painful Truth is supposed to be a, a shortish reflection on Christian life and ministry, so in response to these questions, I'll be as brief as possible. But here are five brief points. First of all, I've already spoken about this in a recent episode about the training culture, but just to clarify, first of all, what I mean by training. Training is the process of teaching and modelling and repeating and praying and encouraging someone to adopt and learn a new practice. I'll say that again. It's the process of teaching, modelling, repetition, prayer and encouragement by which someone learns a new practice, a new way of living and acting. Now, that practice might be generosity or prayer or rejoicing and being thankful or encouraging others with the word of the Bible or sharing your faith with somebody else or raising our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord or any of the other myriad ways in which being a Christian, in which learning Christ means learning a new way of life, a new way of living and acting. It's what Paul describes in Titus when he talks about the godly living that accords with the sound doctrine of the gospel. And he talks about the older women, for example, training and teaching the younger women to be godly wives and mothers. And also later in chapter 2, he speaks of, more generally, the grace of God training us for a new life, a new life of godliness and uprightness. This is what training really is. It's the process of a new life coming into being, a new way of living and acting. Through the gospel. Now, training is often thought of in Christian circles as imparting particular skills, particular practical ministry skills, and this is in part what it is. But it's only this if we see that ministry skills, as we call them, are really just an important subset of what the gospel and the grace of God trains us to do, which is to be zealous for good works, as Titus 2 puts it, to love other people by the way we act. And this is perhaps the key mind shift that is needed in this whole area, to see training, and especially ministry training, as one vital facet of just training every member of the church in mature Christian discipleship. Secondly then, I wonder whether if in this sense, all those maturity pastors and discipleship pastors out there really might actually be training pastors, maybe without realising it. That is, if their goal is to see the Word of God take root in the lives of each congregation member and to bear increasing fruit in maturity and in an everyday practice. The practical ministry side of training is one important facet of this. And so when we train people, for example, to know the gospel really well and to be able to share it and talk about it naturally in conversation, or when we train someone or equip them to be able to encourage another Christian with the Bible one-to-one, these are really just aspects of the godly loving speech that should mark our new lives as Christ's people. They're aspects of speaking the truth in love, as Ephesians 4.15 puts it. But I do wonder if training is not acknowledged or named as a key facet of this work, how will it be focused on and championed and improved? And so thirdly, a question for any maturity pastors or discipleship pastors or whatever you might be called who are out there listening to this. What would be different about your role if you re-envisaged it as being a training pastor 
What if you saw it as your particular focus and role to drive that process of teaching and modelling and repetition and prayer and encouragement by which congregation members grew in their practice of the Christian life, including their confidence and ability to minister to others? What if it was part of your role, for example, to equip congregation members with that basic Christian skill of life, that is, to know the gospel well and to share it with others, for example? I'm interested in your questions. These are not rhetorical questions. I would really love to hear your thoughts. Please get in touch. Fourthly, then, training, you'd have to say, is hardly niche. If it's what I've described it as being, it's in fact foundational. Every other ministry in our congregations, everything we want to see happen, whether that's evangelism or following up new believers or welcoming and loving newcomers or leading small groups or whatever it might be, All of these require people who've been trained, who've been equipped with a new practice. That is, people whose head and heart and hands have been trained and grown to live in a certain way and to act in a certain way for the sake of others, in love for others. Could it be that if we're looking around our congregation for people to join us in these different ministries and we're finding very few people, Is it because we haven't trained people, at least not trained enough people? And finally, and fifthly, is university the only place that this sort of training can happen? Well, there are certainly unique opportunities and possibilities for this kind of training at university just because of the age and stage of the people involved. And the same would be true, though, of of young adults' ministry generally in churches. But if what I've been arguing in the last few minutes is true, then training can't be limited or confined to just some demographics or some places. It's a basic facet of the growth and development of every Christian. And besides, we certainly knew Paul wanted training to flourish on Crete, where Titus was. And although we do read that Titus had to deal with plenty of lazy gluttons, I'm not sure that meant he was necessarily in campus ministry. Anyway, to put all of this another way, if a key purpose of church life is to train every member for a godly life of loving ministry to others, are we bringing that purpose sufficiently into the foreground and making sure that it really happens and flourishes and grows in the way that we organize and staff our ministries? That's the question. And what do you think? I'd really be interested to hear. If you would like to let me know what you think of that question, just send me an email. You can email me at tonyjpain at me.com or you can go over to the Painful Truth website. That's thepainfultruth.online where you'll find the text version or the article version of this post and you can write a comment below that as well along with other people who do that and participate in a conversation there if you'd like. So I do hope you enjoyed this episode. It's one of the free ones that I send out to the whole list that I publish freely as a podcast every three weeks or so. If you would like to get every edition every week, well, there is a way to do that as well. It's by subscribing, by becoming a partner at The Painful Truth. And you can do that by going across to the website and hitting the subscription button and following all the options. Well, once again, thanks for being with me this week. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.